is no such thing as a political prisoner. All prisoners are political prisoners. All trials in America are political trials. And when you go into jail, you see that. Because you see that 90% of the people in jail are black. That's what you see. You see that 90% of the people are young. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hardcore Troubadour. My name is Brian Wallace. My name is Tyler Short, and uh, we are—we were just talking about this. We were recording an episode the closest to an air date that we ever have. I know. So you will. This will go live on Thursday, the what fourteenth, um, and we're recording on Tuesday. So yeah, you will actually hear something fresh, and not us like. From two referencing two, yeah, referencing two weeks ago in our lives or two months ago in our lives. Yeah, um, so yeah, it's like almost like we're a regular professional podcast for one week. A regular professional podcast—that's the goal. Um, it's not, but I, uh, I like it. I like it. If I, honestly, we probably could do this more regularly if I just trusted myself to always like edit and upload it on time. So I don't trust myself to have a free night. Exactly. Yeah. So. Me neither. Tyler, what's up, man? You've been to some cool gigs lately. Yeah, well, this is like also one of the longest periods of time we've gone without recording. <laughs> so I've uh, I've seen Steve Earle. I've seen Margot Price. I've seen Trey Burt. I saw Hayes Carl and Del McCory Band. Dude. Um, I saw Black Joe Lewis. I never even heard of him. And then I find, come to find out everybody I know who likes this kind of shit already knew who he was. He's very cool. That's awesome. I've never seen him before, but that's rad. It was very badass. Um, and uh, I almost went and saw Gag. They stayed with me, but I didn't get to see them because my mom had to go to the emergency room that night. So. Oh, fuck. Is your mom okay? She's cool. She had pneumonia and she oh. had to have an operation to have the... Uh, shit sucked out of her lungs but she's doing great well she gets out of the hospital tomorrow okay i'm glad to hear she's okay that's scary though man fuck it's causing her to quit smoking so you know what dude i'm shout just out the silver lining <laughs> that is the silver lining man i mean we've we've talked about this yo my my stepdad who was you know the only like father figure i ever had in my life if something could have gotten him to the hospital sooner we might have caught his fucking cancer in time that something could have been done or yeah you know he could have stopped before he got it but you know he just never went until like the pain got so bad that he was like i can't work what's going on here and by then it was like untreatable you know what i yeah, mean that pretty much is exactly what happened to my mom with her pneumonias she was mm-hmm. ignoring the pain she was in for a week mm-hmm. and it's just but again i can't fucking argue with her because i'm her son and <laughs> i've worked with broken hands i've worked with dislocated elbows and like torn acl and i've done all this shit just because i refuse to stop slow down or stop so i mean i hear you man and yeah. it's like i get it i'm like dude yeah going to the doctor fucking sucks but i like Anyways, i definitely i hold other people I hold the people I love to a very different standard than I hold myself to. Like they'll tell me, they'll tell me they're not feeling good. And I'm like, bro, you got to go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, I'd be like, shut up. No. Oh no, nothing's wrong. It's just allergies. Yeah. (laughs) Every time I had COVID, it's just allergies. (laughs) The only time, the only way that I've, when I've had COVID, 
the giveaway was that my taste went away, my sense of taste. See that Although, never. Well, I I had the dull sense of taste, but I get that with allergies. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. I never was, had the taste go away. I mean, what odd. gave it away that, that I had COVID every time was a friend who got it the same time as me said, "I have COVID. You have COVID." There you go. That's why I'm just like, it's wild. I don't. I still don't know who I got it from. Um, or, and I managed through isolation to not get Rachner or Kieran sick, which was the main, that's pretty crazy goal for Kieran. I think he had just had a booster cause he got it at his, at his like two-year-old checkup. Mm-hmm. So I don't have any proof, but I think that was giving him a little protection, you know, but like for, cause that was my main thing. Like, again, it's like, I'm not worried for his health or life or whatever, because he's going to be fine. But it's more just like, oh, when the little one is sick and you can't do anything about it, you just got to like sit with it. It's just, everybody's mm-hmm. just miserable, you know? So I was like, we are, I'm going to try to keep him from getting sick. And I did, but yeah, I would have thought I just had a cold. And then I, it's always when I go to drink coffee and I'm like, oh, this is weak, man. This is fucking weak ass coffee. And then I'm like, oh no, it's me. It's I can't you. fucking yeah. taste anything. Mm-hmm. Are you hearing the horns outside? I hear a horn outside. Oh, God damn it. It's not that bad. All right, cool. So, you know, it's giving a little New York flavor. Usually it's yeah. not so bad in here, but there's some. Yeah, let's get some sirens going too. It's some... like the beginning of a Madball record. I was about to say, <laughs> I always think, it. <laughs> hey, hey, cutie, come in. Um, <laughs> um, uh, I, also, I almost quoted something and I realized I'm thinking of a very different intro to a band that I don't think we should talk about. <laughs> uh, cool, cool, cool. But yeah, well, the gigs I went to were cool. Yeah. So um, you named so many of those, you know, folks that you saw. And I'm just like, what was this? The fucking hardcore troubadour fest? Like, right. It's well, like- well, the Steve show was me, me, my dad and our buddy Scott went to Owensboro to see him at the Bluegrass Hall of Fame in nice. which he only played one song off the mountain. And me and Scott were like, what? <laughs> wow. But he played the mountain, which was. Okay. First, I mean, I've the three times I've seen him, it's the only time I've seen him play that. So, okay, all right, that was cool. He played it. I think that was part of his encore. I think he played "Hometown Blues" and "The Mountain." Which... I mean, and that had to be special for Kentucky. Yeah, for right? Kentucky, he, he wouldn't yeah. have done that. Yeah, I mean, the first time I saw him was in Eastern Kentucky, and he played "Harlan Man," mm-hmm. and those, I guess, are the two songs I've seen him play off of "The Mountain." Of the three times I've seen him. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was the alone tour. So he was just by himself, no accompaniment whatsoever up there, just playing guitar. My dad was thrilled. That's awesome. He he was so impressed with the guitar playing because that was his complaint when we saw him on the Copperhead Road tour was you couldn't really tell what Steve was doing because because mm, the band was just so loud. The band's or... just so loud yeah. and just I mean I it, kind of the same thing when I saw Margot Price the other day, like when she's playing acoustic, it's like you can kind of hear mm. what she's doing, but when she's playing electric, you can definitely hear, and it's almost like it's a I don't know like an accessory, <laughs> yeah, more than it's an instrument. I hear um, but hearing him play all those songs. Um, on acoustic was cool it was a really cool set list um played off of i think i think we figured it out he didn't play anything off jerusalem nothing off revolution starts now and fuck i can't remember 
there was another record I think he didn't play anything off of, not counting the one we're talking about today, which mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he played Train of Coming songs. He played Guitar Town songs. He played Exit Zero songs. I'm pretty sure he played something off the hard way, but I would have to look now to see. Um, but it was a great mix. He had awesome stuff to say. Talked about union stuff a lot. Um, oh, yeah. Really talked about the West Virginia stuff. Mm-hmm. When he when he talked about uh, he played um, it's about blood from the Ghost of West Virginia. I think that was the only song he played off of that. Um, but uh, yeah, he told a really funny story about uh, about Pete Seeger and him handing him his lifetime union card for the musicians union. Oh yeah, in which Pete Seeger had been a member since he was like seventeen or something like that, mm-hmm. and uh. He, I think, um, Pete said, like, does this mean I don't have to pay you dues anymore? <laughs> <laughs> Which was so cool. It was awesome. It was a really it was an awesome vibe. It really felt like everybody there, like, even though we're in Owensboro, Kentucky, which is, I mean, it's kind of Trump country. Mm-hmm. Um, it really felt like everybody there was like, we are here because we believe and what is being said on the stage right now. That's awesome. Not in all the things that make us hate each other. Um, but yeah, no, it was cool. It was really awesome. I, when, when we went to that, that, uh, the whole Oliver Anthony thing was breaking. Too. Oh yeah. yeah. But me yeah. and Scott could not stop talking. Mm-hmm. And I was texting you the whole time when that shit was going on too. What a fucking, what a thing that's going on right now, man. I know. Well, and I just literally, just a few hours ago before recording saw that he just canceled a show because he realized they were charging more for tickets than he was comfortable with. Um, and he See, was like, I, I, <clears throat> I, I think that I, I saw somebody talking about him and was like, people are trying to pigeonhole him into thinking what they think. Yes, exactly. And a lot of people are forgetting that there really are like conservative like small government, like small government conservatives who don't buy into all the racism and the mm-hmm. bigotry and yeah. all the, the, you know, the, the gender politics stuff that these people are pushing. They don't buy into any of that stuff. They are truly like small government conservative libertarians. And I think that's what he is. I think so too. And it, it's... I think that's what he is. He's just a, a honest person. Yeah. I mean, in in a way, it's kind of like, you know, at the beginning, I was like, ah, you're so close to getting it, man. And then um, when I especially after, you know, because those those fuckers will will try to co-opt anything they can. I mean, they try to play fucking Born in the USA at events. So it it shouldn't surprise us that they played that song at their fucking shithead Republican debate. Yeah. Um, But the The shit he had to say about that was funny. That, that was when I was like, dude, yes, I like you. Um, And even if we don't agree about everything. Exactly. It's like (laughs) friend, the, the, the person stuck eating junk food is not your enemy, but you know what? We agree about more than we disagree about. And um, like, it made me happy though, too. Cause he was like, apparently he was like, I got to be honest with y'all. I don't really know how all this works. I was using a third party to book this show. And then I found out that people were getting charged $90 for tickets. He was like, we're giving all of you a refund. 
And he was like, I'm going to find another, I think it was in Knoxville somewhere. And he was mm -hmm. like, we're going to find another venue where every ticket is $25. That's what I'm going to charge. And I'm like, dude, you're like Fugazi. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Straight with inflation. You're like, I know. Yeah. That's, that's, that's Fugazi with inflation. But the other thing is that, you know, doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, I haven't given a, a, a deep listen to most of the songs out. Like dude's got a strong ass voice, man. Mm -hmm. I, I really like his voice. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, when I first heard him, I was like, oh, he's doing like a Tyler Childers thing. Yep. Which th there's nothing wrong when you're starting out of doing an impersonation until you find who you are. We are doing a podcast about Steve Earle. Like yeah. when he started <laughs> out, he was impersonating someone until he found his own voice. And of that's course. how you develop your own, your own persona, your own energy. Tyler, who were you impersonating when you first became a frontman? Scott Vogel. Vogel? Every time. I hear I hear Rick Rodney from Strife. Physically. Mm, physically, you were doing Vogel. Yes. Physically, I mean, yeah. I'm doing Vogel. Why not ape the best? You know, like that's vocally, I'm trying to do Rob Fusco and I'm just not there. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna put something out there, Tyler. And again, um, not just blowing smoke up your ass because you're my friend. You're a way better vocalist than Rob Fusco. Dude, that one King Down record is just next fucking level. Don't care. I get to see them next weekend. Have fun. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> spend some I'm gonna spend some kicks, but I'm gonna mosh way harder for strife. <laughs> I don't you know me, man. It's just when I it was fine when he started singing from for MPV, but then when I saw them live. And he did some of the songs from Nothing mm -hmm. in Vain. I was like, this doesn't work. No. <laughs> you see, I don't care about him and MPB at all. I just like yeah. One King. I like him and One King Down. That's it. Go. Yeah. It's, you know, and it, given my timeline and my taste, I, it would make sense for me to be a One King Down fan, but that record just never really clicked with me for some reason. So. But fuck teach yeah, their, man. Teach their own. Teach their own. And I'll say this too. I mean, this happens all the time. Like you say, like vocally, you're influenced heavily by Fusco. And I'm like, hey, just as an as a fucking fan, I like what you do better. That happens all the time. Right? Oh, yeah. Where somebody would be like, I mean, it's all the way I remember as a kid reading Come As You Are, the the Nirvana biography, right? That Michael Azarad wrote. And Kurt Cobain just being like, I'm just doing Flipper and the Meat Puppets. And so I'm like, I got to hear Flipper and the Meat Puppets. And I was like, whoa, Nirvana's way better. Than way better than that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but in his mind, it was like, this is who I learned for. And this is what, yeah. what I'm going for. So, yeah, man, that's all. I don't know. How did we start? Oh, Oliver Anthony. I was like, how yeah. the fuck did we start talking about this? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think of. Uh, Tell me about next... the Trey Burt show, man. Okay, jump ahead, dude. Um, okay, so well, so that was a a few months ago. We went to this venue, the Burl in Lexington, and saw White Reaper with Narrowhead. Mm -hmm. So I saw that the, I saw Margot Price was playing there this summer, and whenever I finally got around to actually looking up the tickets, it was a county fair that they were throwing at this venue. Ah. so we saw them play indoors, and there's a parking lot between the venue 
building and an arcade, like an old school pinball and like big, like machine arcade of like all like, I mean, they had like Pac-Man, Street Fighter, Marvel vs. Capcom, like all the, the classic 90 and the classic like 80s uh, arcades that rules arcade, uh, games and whatnot. And um, but there's a parking lot between these two buildings and they built a stage off of the venue building into the parking lot area Hmm. so and then they had like a big like one of those big carnival slides set up they had um like carnival games set up too um all kinds of food vendors and whatnot um but so me and scott go for the first day we just make it for some dude um i didn't care for and i don't remember his name (laughs) um but del mccurry band played afterwards and they were so fun to see he is so old and he is having such a good time dude that rules i love seeing old dudes just like fucking tearing it up they they did like five or six songs and were like all right now requests and then they just people were calling out requests and then every time he would say all right what do you guys want to hear next and you go no we're not playing the vincent yet (laughs) 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 or uh no no maybe later for that one it's like you guys are asking about like the last songs we're gonna play. So, yeah. um, but it was cool. It was really awesome. Uh, they played uh the song "High on the Mountain," which after the Steve Roll record, after the Mountain, we listened to. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm gonna dig into the Del McCray band a little bit, and I found some songs I really like, and they played all of them. That rules. Yeah, so it was cool. It was like I've, this band's been. There's dude's been doing music since the '70s, and I knew sixty percent of his hour long set. That's awesome. That's crazy because I've only listened to like a fraction of was of his output. Um, but it was awesome. Uh Ronnie was there too, so it was cool to see father and son mm-hmm. killing it together. Um, and then Hayes Carl headlined that night. And it's funny because I was like, I wonder if he'll do a encore like as soon as he ended. And I was like, Oh, everyone is leaving. Mm. Every like is like he ended and was like, All right. See you guys later. And he went to the back and everyone just left. And I was like, oh, I guess. All right. Yeah, we're just going to go home, which was fine because I had been up since noon or so after working overnight the night before because Cro-Mags and conservative military image played in Louisville. Oh, shit. so I went to that gig, went straight to work, worked to like seven in the morning Got home, went to sleep around nine, woke up around noon one, did some shit around the house, picked up Scott, went to Lexington, saw Del McCurry Van and Hayes Carl. We skedaddled, got cooked out on the way home. Um, Important detail. And then I went to work. Then you went, of course you did, man. Of course. You and did. I worked till like five in the morning and then went home and slept and then woke up and basically went straight back to Lexington to be one of 20 people watching Trey Bird. Wow. What was, uh, dude, that's just, I'm again, I'm tired just hearing that, but I'm shot. <laughs> where did, uh, well too. And I was like, I said this about Del McCurry, but I was like, speaking of old dudes having fun and tearing it up, Harley, um, dude, he was awesome. He's a, he's a beast, man. He, I, mean, I just, Ashton was like taken aback by how he spoke during the set. Yeah. It was 10 years ago. 
who could have predicted that, that he'd come out on top that it, no harley one. would come out on top yeah but yeah odds were long yeah. odds were long but you know what man yeah i'm i'm a i'm a fucking harley flanagan fan man You're yeah right. he was he was awesome he played the only one i was fucking going nuts i Hell was yeah. screaming being a fucking juvenile during that <laughs> shit i almost got in a fight during chrome x really uh-huh with, with I, uh a girl oh these two girls were um were like being a little handsy um and anytime i got near them they were like going out of their way to like shove me really hard while i was like moshing minding my own business not bumping into people not just in my own space um and at one point i was crossing across the room and this girl was coming towards me and she grabbed me in the face and like shoved my face. Oh, so no. I instinctively did it right back without thinking. And I realized as it was happening, it was such a bad look how aggressively I threw this girl's face that I was like, all right, I'm not, I'm not going to get near this girl again. Like, that's not cool. And, um, and then I was standing somewhere at one point and she put her back to me and started like bumping back up against me. And I just tapped her on the shoulder and turned around and said, don't fucking do that. Get the fuck away from me. And she started to get in my face. And then her boyfriend came over and took like two looks at me and decided he didn't want it. And then grabbed her and I think convinced her she was wrong. <laughs> Dude. And, uh, but then it was really awkward. And I thought I made it awkward. But apparently everyone was tense because everyone hated her and her friends. Of course. At the show. But I didn't see how they were behaving during all the other bands. Yeah. Because I just watched Cro-Mags and CMI and Two Witnesses. So I apparently told the villain off. And I thought everybody thought I was the bad guy. But in in fact, I was the everyone was wondering how I got them to just stop and chill out some girl asked me later was like what did you say to her that made her go like ghost white and stop being an <laughs> asshole and i said stop <laughs> she was like that's me. what it took that's yeah. all it took I was just telling her to stop i was like yeah I just, just told her to cut that shit out firm and assertive tone stop <laughs> like like you're talking to a dog that's going too crazy and then, yeah that's yeah pretty much it but i mean it's like obviously they're real drunk yeah, I, I was about to say, well, you know, obviously idiotic behavior at shows is nothing new, but I do it all the time. Right. I, I think like it's still I, I don't know why I'm surprised anymore, but I feel like, you know, I know shows where it's like there's going to be a lot of people there who don't really know what's going on. So irregulars. You know, you just gotta, yeah, right. Irregulars. Um, but like Cro-Mag CMI, I'm like. If you don't at least some have some kind of idea what's going on, how did you get here? How did you make it? Yeah, what's yeah, going but, on? But I guess a, a well, one I forget about like we obviously think about Chromags in the you know as obviously like pinnacle yep. New York hardcore band, but they are because they are in the conversation of all types of classic punk. There's just a lot of weirdos show up for mm-hmm. them. A lot of um, bar metal types. Yeah. And um, I mean, yeah, we'll never forget that they, you know, like fucking toured with Megadeth back mm-hmm. in the day. Toured with White then, Zombie, uh, I'm pretty sure, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, copious amounts of alcohol will turn even a person who gets it into 
a dumbass. So yeah, it was, the thing was, I didn't realize, so for two witnesses, there was like nobody there. So like, it was just friends going off and singing along. But then for the other two bands that were like non, non essential things for me to participate in okay you're being um, very diplomatic with your words i appreciate i'm that. not gonna out nobody but of i don't watch or care about the if, other ones if, if anybody's curious they can look up who else played like yeah. there you go um but i wasn't inside for those so i didn't see that there was like anything even happening right but then when cmi played it was like all the skinheads and punks and hardcore kids like going nuts so like even if you were like a, a an irregular mm-hmm you didn't get anywhere near that because it was right. dangerous. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess during Chromags, they were like not going to be dissuaded from participating in their very weird confrontational way that I was not, I was not game for. No. no. But yeah. So I start the weekend almost getting in a fight, working overnight, going on no sleep to see Del McCurry and Hayes Carl, and then going back to work and then on no sleep, going to see Trey Burt basically play a personal show for me and 20 other people. I feel like up until the Trey Burt part, you basically just wrote a CMI song because you were just like, no, dude, okay, overnight, I, get in a fight, work overnight. When <laughs> I said when I, when I when I was saying bye to people and uh, Adam from CMI and Chase, uh, the bass player, were um, on this. I was like, I was like, yeah, I'll see you guys later. I'm going to work. And Chase just like, whoa, that sucks. <laughs> and, and Adam looked at me in the face and went, going to work very skin out of you i know <laughs> I, just, I was like this is not an act i know <laughs> like, i was just thinking thing about that doing, it's not an act. dude leaves the skinhead show and goes straight to work i was <laughs> my friend joel is a skin and i'm just always bothering him with stuff and i'm like joel what do skinheads think about working remotely um i'm just bothering him. <laughs> that fucking rocks <laughs> that's cool i'm like me i personally like that i get to do it a couple of days a week but i could i could see somebody thinking that's not very authentic so um um then you know i put him in the position to speak for all skinheads um yeah that fucking rule so okay where did where did trey burt play second no where where same same venue same it was was at that at that county fair oh i see okay but also so so i don't know if you've listened to any of his new songs but his new record is like a full band yeah i I did listen to some of it he's just solo it was him solo huh just i want first two records it was awesome dude yeah i well and it's making me he was so funny I can't wait to see. It's making me wonder now if when he plays here in October, it'll be solo or with a band. If it's on know. this tour, I think it's still going to be. I don't think he's going to play these songs until he has a band and the records out. Mm-hmm. I don't think he wants to commit to a production for music that people aren't familiar with yet. That's fair. You know, and dude, he was so cool. That's awesome. He was he was so cool. Um, and uh, straight up, dude. After this is my second time seeing Margot Price. Margot Price, one of the best live groups I've ever seen. That rules. I got to see her too. It was crazy. Also, she um, the thing that she did new in this one, this time seeing her was they had a second drum set set up, and she played drums multiple times during the set with the drummer. Wow, that's sick. In her crazy outfits that she plays in. That's so cool. It was pretty funny. She's like slipknot that's awesome she's tearing it up too i'm sure also she's jumping around in stiletto heels dude that's so badass yeah i love that 
it was very cool it, and uh <clears throat> she covered a tom petty song i was not familiar with and i did not look up to see what tom petty song it was but it was cool mm. it had to have been a later later record well now i'm curious i'm gonna look up the set list later it was good and it made me think maybe we gotta revisit tom petty at some point and dig deeper i'm always down for that yo uh my wall my uh wildflowers bootleg t-shirt came in the mail Fuck, and, that's uh, sick i fucking wore it two days straight straight out of the bag and then i was like this smells funny i should wash it um that's tight and i haven't you know done laundry since so that's that story <laughs> cool <laughs> good fit though um fuck yeah um i also saw a girl um uh, sg goodman she played hmm. before margot price she's from uh, Hickman, Kentucky, and one of her songs is on the new Tyler Childers record. Oh. He uh, covers her. So uh, that's a thing to check out. That's Hardcore Troubadour adjacent. If you are listening to this podcast, you should check out S.G. Goodman. She's pretty good. S.G. Goodman. I've never mm-hmm. heard, but I'm looking out. Yeah, Hickman, Kentucky. Yeah, uh, um, Scott was very familiar with her, but I had not heard. I also, Scott did not go with me the second day, so I went by myself to that gig. And Dude, I've never done that before. I like going to gigs like that by myself, to be honest with you. It was cool. I spent a good amount of the day reading in my uh in my car. Uh yeah, that's true. When it's it was like kind of a county fair festival thing, I guess that's a little different. Yeah. Um oh now I really want to hear her. The fifth track on the album, If You Were Someone I Love, deals with the opioid crisis. Uh, I gotta listen to uh SG Goodman. It's pretty good. I've listened to her second record a good amount now. But I haven't played around. Yeah, I haven't played around with the other ones yet. Personal life. Sick. Personal life. Goodman is gay. She lives in Murray, Kentucky. That's a sick bio. (laughs) That's pretty cool. That's all it says. (laughs) She was really funny. She was really funny. I love that. It was uh it was uh it was great. She uh she told a joke at one point, she looked around at the band, she went Damn, they don't even laugh at my jokes anymore. They're so sick of my shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. It was cool. Hell yeah. Well, that's somebody, I mean, I think, dear listeners, you should check out everybody that we talk about. But SG Goodman, that's a new one. I'm going to check her out after we're done here. Um, Fuck yeah, man. Well, I've had a wild month. I've gone to, I think, more shows in in the past month than I've been to in a single month. Uh, maybe ever in my life. I don't know. That rules. I got a yeah. I got a I got a busy stretch coming, but uh not not much before. But we got some bangers coming up around here. I think we got Fiddlehead. I've got um, the big like uh days triple B weekend mm-hmm. um which is gonna be sick. Um and then what I'm selfishly most excited about is is later in October, um, going to see Unbroken with Indecision and Blacklisted in Philly, um, which should be fucking sick. So, oh, dude, Inclinations make, doing an Indecision rip for next weekend. No shit. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Is it is it done? Can you send me a pic later? Uh, I or... can text somebody to send me a pic, and then I can send that pic to you. <laughs> impossibly my flip phone will fry the fuck out of it. I was about to say, all right, yeah, you should send me a telegraph message describing it, and then I'll (laughs) I'll transcribe it. Um and then enter that into chat GPT and it will generate the image. Yeah, I'll put it up in smoke signals. Have you told Tom that you did the rip? 
I forgot. You forgot? Oh, so you didn't ask permission. You just didn't. No, we did not. We're going to ask for forgiveness. <laughs> you know what? That's probably a... Uh... That tends to be my flip. Every time I talk to somebody at work, they've said, Brian, you say that all the time. And I'm like, it's how I live my life. Because we're like, should we ask before we do this? And I'm like, I'm not. Let's let, let's ask for forgiveness, not permission. I cannot wait. We are, we are taking action. Because mm-hmm. um, I just want to be done with shit for once. I feel like I've, every project I've been on, I think I'm done. And then they'll be like, I'm actually... Um, it's wild times, man. It's wild times everywhere, but especially when you got fuckers trying to ban books in the name of protecting children. And as much as there are some, a lot of things that are frustrating to me about my new job, I do appreciate that our leadership has taken a very strong, we don't fuck with that stance. And our our curriculum is our curriculum. If you don't like it, don't use it, but we're not going to censor any of it for the whims of some shithead politician. So that is good to hear. I, uh, I, on a Chapo trap house this week, they talked about this like VR, um, curriculum being pushed by this Florida representative's wife. Who's loosely, um, affiliated with moms for Liberty and whatnot. And yeah. Um, it's like, they want to put these VR headset like class virtual classrooms and allow kids to instead of going to school, they can be at home and put these goggles on that will cause them to be able to interact virtually with classmates and teachers from all around the world following these specific curriculums and they'll read books in VR and they'll do all these different things in VR. And it's like, yeah, dude, cool. Let's yeah, alienate I mean, children even more from each I'm, other. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Their, their ultimate Let's goal. Everyone more antisocial. <laughs> right. Their ultimate goal is to completely dismantle public schooling. So that's yeah. a step towards that. Um, yeah. You know, even though the, you know, the period during COVID where all school was online was an unmitigated disaster Mm -hmm. for everyone, even, even wealthy communities, right. Just in terms of whether you give a shit about test scores, but also just developmentally, man, kids are still carrying around a lot of fucking unprocessed trauma and baggage Mm -hmm. from that. And um, yeah. So let's prevent them from being able to socialize even more. Right. And they, and they made the point though. They made the point that like, well, the wealthy won't be educated this way. They'll be educated the way that we know works. That's right. Yeah. If you've got money, you can pay (laughs) for, you know, the school where the kid will have like a proper experience like that. Um, If you don't have money, the government will fund the VR headset that it will pay a private company to provide for the kids. So they make a profit off the government providing the capital for this child to be hundred percent. Hey, as long behind. as as long as they don't have to pay some commie school teacher, then uh-huh. they're happy. You know, it's because it's not about how much it actually costs, right? Yeah, that's the same thing where it's like you know we've all seen the statistics of like, you know, for the amount of money they spend to keep one person in prison for a year, um, you know, they could fucking send them to Harvard and have them in like a private apartment. The amount of money now. they spend arresting homeless people, they could just yeah. provide them with homes. They could just provide them with homes. So yeah, it's always bullshit when they feign like, oh, how are we gonna pay for it? Always bullshit. Dude, they I read, uh, I read a um, um, 
a book on MMT called The Deficit Myth. And when I was talking to my dad about it, he had like a knee jerk because my dad's an economics major. Hmm. Um, he had like the knee jerk, like, well, I, I those MMT people, they they're bad for like the working class. And I was like, I think you might be wrong about that based on the book that I'm reading. That's all about it. Mm -hmm. You might want to think about when you heard about MMT, who told you about it and where that information came from that part. Yeah. And then I gave him the book afterwards and he was like, a lot of good stuff in that book. <laughs> I was like, Dude, yeah, right. <laughs> your dad sounds fucking cool, man. He's so cool. Dude. Cause I think it's, it's something <laughs> not just obviously like he goes to see Steve with you and stuff like that, but like, there are just a lot of people that reach a certain age and just don't commit are no longer curious about the world. Yeah. Dude, and I no gave him an operation IBCD. He loves it. That's sick. <laughs> what prompted you to give him op Ivy of all? Things? I just buy him CDs whenever I go to secondhand stores. And then every time I see him, I hand him like a stack of CDs. Um, and yeah, the next time I see him, I'm giving him a bars CD bars. Yeah. Dude. I mean, <laughs> I, I think, think it's, told... think it's badass. I, I was about to say, if you want to talk about underrated, man, we did half figure gunroom did a short run with bars. Fuck um, you. Yeah. I mean, 2004. Maybe? I never got to see him. They didn't play a ton. I know. Um, I heard they went on tour and then they only went back to the places that gave him free drugs. That would make sense, man. We, um, there were good, there were good shows for us because people were actually there. Um, which I bet they, I bet there was people game to, see some weird shit too yeah it totally was right because i think i mean i've you know i i didn't wasn't in the band long enough but i i think i don't know if it would have been any different nowadays but i think half acre gunroom was very lucky because we had a lot of people trying to help us but nobody knew exactly what to do to do right? with you because it was like yeah and I think we just went from one extreme to another. We like first tour, we mostly played hardcore shows where there would always be a handful of kids that like got it and mm -hmm. were stoked. But you know, this was also pre-streaming and stuff like that. So a lot of kids would come and just go like, you're on death wish. You have gun in the title. I'm expecting something heavy. Yeah. And then we'd be like, what the fuck is this? And we would clear the room. Right. And, and then the four kids left would be into it. But then when they put us on, I say, they, the, the amazing people who helped us get shows and book tours. Mm -hmm. We play some more like traditional stuff. Like I remember we did a, a little run of shows with not even a run of shows. We did a handful of shows with this group, like Papa tops West coast turnaround and kind of like SR seven one, you know, like kind of kitschy steel guitar, mm -hmm. you know, country Western classics. We were way too loud for that crowd, you know, cause I think yeah. they, they really, they were expecting rhinestones, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And we were a country band, but we had riffs. And so it was, we just never found a place, but bars fucking ruled. And I do think you should get your dad that CD. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to give it to him. I can't remember what else. I also gave him a get up kids four minute mile. He likes that too. Amazing. Yeah. Dude, your dad rules. That's awesome. <laughs> he's, so, he's so tight. That rules. Um, well, we've been riffing for a while, man. We Should have we been riffing about for this a while. record. Let's talk about what we talked about. I also realized, like, I mean, you'll see it in the title if you're listening, but we did, we're going to talk about sidetracks. The first tonight. Steve Earl covers record. We yeah, have talked about so far. not all covers, but it a lot. May of as covers. well be all covers. 
but there is some, so this is, I guess this technically goes down as a, is a compilation record, mm -hmm. right. Of, of songs from some of which were recorded specifically for this. Um, some of which were on soundtracks, um, you know, there's Ellis Unit One, which we've talked about before, and we'll dig into even more here. But that was on the Dead Man Walking soundtrack. Um, but yeah, Tyler, um, as always, what what context can can you share from the year? What was it? Was this 2002 already? Uh, yes, was... 2002 on E squared. Yeah. Um, so yeah i'm 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 looking and i i realized i was like didn't really look at what it says in the book about this and i was like oh yeah i'll read the little bit in the in this uh in this uh fearless heart outlaw poet steve Earl book and actually it might be completely redundant to read any of it because it's basically what we're gonna say when we talk about what all these songs are all right man i mean yeah so I'm... you know what i'm we're just gonna skip and see what did Steve have to say about it? Let's do that then. Because um, on here it has a forward like the last few records we have covered do. So Steve says about sidetracks, over the last six or seven years, I've made five records. I call them records because that's how I approach them, as documents with a beginning, middle, and end. They were all recorded in continuous blocks of time, usually a couple of weeks for basic tracks, a week for overdubs, and a couple more to mix. Sometimes this process can be disorienting and frustrating, and I found myself wishing I could simply record one song at a time, from basic track to final mix in a day or two. This, I told myself, was how the Beatles did it. And when they convened at Abbey Road every few months in the mid-60s to record their singles, in my opinion, the greatest recording sessions in pop music history, the problem is that my bass player lives in L.A., my guitar player in New York, and my dance card is way too full to make the process practical for the, pro for the production of full-length albums. There I go again. CDs <laughs> are nearly <laughs> extinct, and I've never been comfortable with the term. It sounds so Wall Street. As close as I get is when I'm asked to make music for a film or a tribute or benefit record, when the except, with the exception of the instruments, which we left off of Transcendental Blues, or with the exceptions of the instrumentals, which we left off the end of Transcendental Blues, at the last minute, the decision I've often regretted, these are not outtakes. They are rather straight tracks record at different times for different reasons that I'm very proud of and are either unreleased or underexposed. And I agree with that. Yeah. Well, unreleased or underexposed. Well said. I like mm -hmm. that. But yeah, so there, there we go. And from there, do you want to get into the songs? Let's talk about the songs, man. So the first one is some dreams. This is not a cover. So, this is Steve's song. Yeah. This is a song. He, uh, he says of this one, because like Trina Cummins, I told Brian, he has a little a little snippet for each one of these things mm -hmm. on this record. Um, he says, I wrote this movie or I wrote this for a movie called The Rookie, which is about Jimmy Morris, who in his late 30s discovered he could throw a baseball 98 miles an hour and did so for two seasons in the majors. This is a movie that makes grown men cry. Kind of a chick movie for guys. <laughs> it's a great movie. <laughs> I've never seen it, <laughs> dude. It's a baseball dork movie for sure. Okay, I loved it. Sight. Yeah. I I was never really a baseball dork, but um, yeah, that rules. I, what do you I mean, think about I, this song? I like it. What I wrote is, oh no, are we frozen? Uh, your audio is still good, but uh, your video is frozen. Can you hear me, bud? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, we didn't we didn't lose audio, so that's good. Okay. Um, 
what I wrote is I need songs like this in my life. It's not perfect. It's not mind blowing, mm -hmm. but it's just a good reminder, man. Like I need sometimes a like, yeah, God damn it. You know, some dreams don't ever come true, but you know what? Some dreams do, man. Yeah. No, I, uh, I wrote after so many listens, I've gone from this song is okay to the song is pretty good. Uh, I think the message is cool and I relate to it a lot. I think it's a, uh, I think this is this song can be canon, but I also see where this song is on a compilation record. Yeah, I... canon. I still think it's a pretty long way from canon, man. Even though I, you think it's a long way from canon. I think even... of the songs on this record of that he wrote. It's one of two that I would consider being canon. You know what? That's fair. Um, I think there's only one like undeniably canon song on this record. I agree. That he I, have, I have a feeling we're thinking about the same song. Oh, yeah. This there's time no around. Um, but yeah, I, I think when you contextualize it that way, um, I totally agree. Um, yeah, man. Do you want to what, move on to open your window? Let's move on to open your window. Okay. What he says about this one's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. Um, Two-thirds of this appears in Pay It Forward. If I'd known they only needed two-thirds of a song, I could have saved us a lot of trouble. Dude, he is so <laughs> self-aware. I love it. This song sucks. Okay, I wrote, I wrote, this is definitely a song of this era for Steve, and it's mm -hmm. fine, but I'm, I'm, it's fine. I'm not crazy about it, but not offended. I don't think it sucks, but I don't think it's good. Yeah, it's not, it's not good, and I like it. Yeah. I, just, I love, dude, Steve rules. What a great thing to say. I just, it feels phoned in to me. And, yeah. and that is that is not something I hardly ever associate with Steve Earle, even on the stuff that I'm not super into. And so it makes sense, like given that context of whatever, because I'm like, both the lyrics and the guitar just kind of feel like, oh, okay, here's a song. Um, yeah, it legit, like I hearing it, I'm like, I can tell when he wrote this, like what, year because i can tell like what other songs he's written sound like this one mm -hmm. he was just like yeah i'm just gonna crank one out that yeah dude my mom loved pay it forward though that's a mom movie i never saw pay it forward it's got Haley and joel osmond in it yeah I, I can i can like see it in my mind but i never saw the actual movie i think it's a movie for moms like uh the blind moms. side yeah which uh you know it oh, dude, turns out yeah Horse shit. Yeah. <laughs> Big surprise. Kid. Oh, I'm not. I, dude. And especially like being from Memphis and knowing that fucking fancy ass private Christian school that they're uh -huh. associated with like that. I mean, it, it no surprise. It will come as no surprise to you. And I'm sure to most of our listeners that like the hella expensive private Christian school um, that that you know, Tui family was associated with turns out the most sociopaths like yep. in the entire city of Memphis. And so it doesn't surprise me that they, you know, not only played loose with the actual story, but then like went out of their way to fuck Michael Orr out of money. Yeah. Um, and just the, I was talking to another friend about this, like there, you know, after that movie came out, man, every other player in the league was fucking taunting him about that shit. Cause it made oh, him look yeah. stupid and he's mm -hmm. not stupid. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, so I'm sure 
made him look like a simple person. Yeah, the entire rest of his playing career, you know, like I, the jokes just wrote themselves. And I'm sure every player that wanted to get in his head was up there taunting him with that shit, you know? So yeah. fuck, man. Yeah, fuck them. The toy family. Um, yeah, that shit sucks. Yeah, but that um, is a mom movie. Yep. <laughs> I agree. Speaking of mom movies. Um, the Horse uh, Whisperer. Me and the Eagle wrote this for the Horse Whisperer. Hated the, hated the book, liked the script, never saw the movie, but I'm pretty proud of this song. I'm not. I don't like this song. <laughs> I don't like the song either. And so what I wrote, Tyler, you tend to have seen more movies than I did. I just wrote, I never saw this movie. Any good? No. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, I wrote, uh, it's diminishing returns for these first three songs. I'm not skipping this song, but I'm thinking about it. My finger is hovering. Song is hella B-side. Yeah. That's what I was just like. Oh. Like I can get through it, but yeah, I don't care. I don't care. I, I'm not mad at it, but I'm also like not. This is not something I'm listening to, man. Um, mm-hmm. or, this, is not, not, this is not something I'm reaching for, right? Like if I'm listening to the record, I'm not skipping it. But I don't think I will ever wake up, man. You know what, Steve? Song I want to hear today. Me yeah, and me and the eagle. Yeah, yeah. No, no. So I'm not reaching for this. Here, I think is where we're gonna fight. Um, oh yeah, we're gonna fight. But you want to hear what Steve said about it first? Oh, I do. I I definitely do. So Johnny, too bad. I learned this same place everyone else outside of Jamaica did from the original by the Slickers on the soundtrack for the Harder They Come, mm-hmm. and I did the same. Um, basic track was recorded on sessions for the V Roy's first record. Then we shipped it off to Birmingham, England, where the vocal group RNT and Toaster C facts put in their two cents worth. This is the Jamaican equivalent of I fought the law, which is an, a, a, that's he's right. <laughs> he's not wrong about any of that. I mean, he's no. definitely not wrong about the uh, the facts of how the song came to be recorded. But yes, that last sentiment, that's definitely it. <laughs> I love that soundtrack. I love I lo- this song. I I love the song. I love and I love this cover. No, dude. I love the slickers. I love Delroy Wilson. Mm-hmm. I it's had all good. A, I had you know my like like many of us, man. I, I had my rude boy period, man, where I was just like, I gotta know more about the roots of fucking skinhead music, and mm-hmm. like, um, loved this song. So was intrigued when I saw that Steve had covered it. Um. I don't see why you hate it that much. I said, this shit is embarrassing, man. You did not need to cover this, Steve. <laughs> Just listen to the original, y'all. Shout out Delroy Wilson. Well, yo, the original is cool. The, I, 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 the, I love this song. I love the OG. I love this one. It's just, it's just a cool song. It's a cool and, song, but like, and I wrote, what? I'm just in for this with my whole ska heart. <laughs> but it, I'm just like, Steve, your voice is not like that. What are you doing? Like, this is. You see, I don't think he sounds like he's doing anything. I think he he's sounds not, like he's just singing. I mean, he's not going full fucking patois, you know. Like I know he's yeah. not doing anything fucked up like that, but it, yeah, it's it's nice. He's not going uh, Chet Hanks over here. No, he's fine. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's not Wagwan on us or anything like that. But like, it it just I don't know, man. It just made me a little like like I don't I don't think it's in bad taste. Mm-hmm. I just think I'm like, oh man. I don't need this from you, Steve. This is not what I come to you for. You see, so. but we we argued on the Rivers of Babylon cover too, and I That's like true. that. Yeah, so I just this I, is in line with this is we're both uh we're both on brand right now. This I, is in line with our uh our That's previous, a good point. Yeah, we're just being consistent. When my favorite country singers, you know, go to cover a ska or reggae or rock steady song, 
I just immediately am on edge. So, um, you know, whether that's justified or not. And I'm game. <laughs> <laughs> that rules, man. That rules. Um, a little instrumental coming next. Yeah, Dominic Street. Dominic, uh, D- Dominic Street. Uh, this instrumental was recorded in Dublin with Sharon Shannon and her band, uh, The Woodchoppers. The same day we recorded The Galway Girl. This is The Sound of Joy. And Dude. I wrote, I realize, or realizing I have a limited appetite for Irish folk music, and I think this is it. Mm. I can handle a few instrumentals, but a whole record, I would rather listen to fucking Law Dispute. Of all the things to pick, I would rather listen to Law Dispute. Um, I don't think I'd rather listen to Law Dispute, but I hear you. It's not, it's, it's, it is when I hear stuff like this, it gives me an appreciation of like, oh, I think I like the Pogues because of Shane McGowan mostly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. because I mean, I don't, no, I like this. Yeah. This is yeah. cool. But it's like, but yeah. you Sharon, give me 12 songs of this. Yeah. I'm. Fuck, I'm yeah, out. I'm not I'm not going down to the pub and sitting in the corner and like watching people cut up on this shit for an hour and a half, you know, so I mean, I could even maybe sit and fucking like around some people playing some yeah. music like this, like with my dad, but I'm going to like talk to him and I'm going to text. That's true. It's not going <laughs> to you're not going to have rapt attention. It's going to be no. like background music that yes. you're enjoying. Right. Well, I think one Sharon Shannon we've talked about before. She mm-hmm. fucking rules. What a badass. Um, yeah, more so than liking this instrumental itself, this is another one where it just really highlights for me how bluegrass came from traditional Irish music. Um, because, you oh, know, yeah. as, as someone who's not deep, mm-hmm. deep into bluegrass, when I hear stuff like this, it just makes me really happy because I oh, really yeah. do think of like, fuck, this is our f- fucking ancestors coming over from Ireland and then in their new home this is our culture this is our culture right and then in their new home (laughs) this is how it evolved you know Mm -hmm. into into what became bluegrass music but these are the roots so um yeah cool shit not mad at it but like you i wouldn't be i wouldn't want to listen to a whole record of it either um dude next is what i think is a pretty badass cover yo um so another kind of joy we needed a bonus track for the Japanese version of Transcendental Blues. Danny Goldberg said, just do a cover. I chose Breed as a sort of surprise for Danny and his lonely, or in his lonely, and his lovely, brilliant wife, Rosemary Carroll. His lonely, his lonely very, wife. <laughs> very, very funny screw up for me. Um, yeah, this song rocks, dude. Dude, <laughs> like, we haven't even said, this is, yeah, Breed Nirvana, Nirvana. cover. Um, and I had, Thank you for adding that context too, because I was remembering now when we were doing some of the research for Transcendental Blues, I was like, I found a version that Breed is the last track on that mm-hmm. instead of sidetracks. And now we're seeing, a, oh, it was just the Japanese release of that. Now we but know. Like, this, is one of, this is one of my favorite Nirvana songs like to start with. Mm-hmm. And I love they made it, they did their version, Steve's version is like slower and sludgier, but with it's his the right voice, guitar tone right guitar tone and with his voice i just think it's like it for a cover in my mind it strikes that perfect balance of it is enough of a nod to the original like they're not trying to completely redo mm-hmm. the original song it's faithful it's faithful but it's got his fingerprints on yep. it and that's why i think it's really really good yeah i wrote this is a perfect faithful rendition and i think it rocks 
And uh, also, this is the second Nirvana cover we've talked about in this podcast, and it's so much better than the other one. <laughs> Holy shit, what other Nirvana cover? Did the we Sturgill Simpson oh, uh, Nirvana yeah. cover on the Tom episode. Yeah, man. Y'all hated it. I don't I don't hate it, but y'all hated it. <laughs> yeah, Sturge. You didn't have to do There's so many things. But I, I, always... I do. I like the story behind it. I like uh, yeah. why he picked it. I think that it's cute, but at the no. same time, I the executions. I mean, nowhere near what Steve does on this. I yes, totally. This agree. makes me wish he would write a harder rock record, dude. It would be so good. It would be his, cool. <laughs> his riffs and his voice. He could write a fucking sick rock record like that. Yeah. Um, dude, it would be awesome if he did that in his fucking sixties. Yeah. <laughs> And then did like a like a short tour on it where they just fucking blazed through those songs and then did yep. like did did some greatest hits at the end. I would fucking go nuts for that. Um so the next cover, another like very popular song, Time Has Come Today from the Chambers Brothers. So uh the Chambers Brothers classic. Cheryl was in LA, I was in Nashville, Abby was wherever Abby is. Technology rocks sometimes. Dude. And Abby is Abby Hoffman, if yes. anybody is uh, curious. Yeah, the that's I like this cover a lot. Um, I love the Abby Hoffman samples. It's and so cool. This is my favorite song on the record. This is your favorite. Okay. Yep. I would not have. Mm, yeah, I didn't pick this one, but it's up there for me. That's I wrote, probably... I mean, this had to be my favorite song. It's a culmination of everything I like. 70s rock, Steve Earle, Cheryl Crow, and Radical Politics. That's what's up. And I mean, like, it's fucking, so cool. Shout out Cheryl Crow. She who, rips, dude. Who I had, I just went so long, like, thinking of of her as nothing but the like, oh, that's the, the strong the enough songs. lady, right? The pop yeah. songs, right? And just had not had any idea or, you know, what was her? All I want to do. Yep. That was her first hit, right? Mm -hmm. Which were never songs I was mad at or mm -hmm. anything, but like, I was like, oh, these are good songs. Um, but did not fully appreciate how fucking badass she is. Did you ever um, get around to listen to the difficult kind? Yes. Fuck. Dude. Right. Cheryl Crow rules. Dude, um, it's a track. There's yeah. a really awesome video of her playing it. And she's like, just dripping in sweat and she's playing it by herself like her band is fucked off and she's just playing that song by herself on like a, in a big arena and she is just so hot uh, i gotta <laughs> <laughs> i gotta look that up Not me and for... ashton have watched it together before and been like just holding hands like this is this is this is really this is really doing it for both of us right now <laughs> you know what that's that's y'all's business man um Dude, I just got to say, I mean, speaking of that, she's 61 years old, man. She, she still looks, looks great. Fucking incredible. That's yeah. awesome. She's still cool, too. It's so oh, crazy. Man. She called out fucking Jason Aldean. She's badass, dude. She she's rocks. Badass. She's, she's very badass. cool. Um, her being involved on this cover made me like her even more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, like, I guess, like, you know, so many, like, progressive artists you can just assume like they probably are on like the right side of like a lot of things that we, you know, just take for granted as like logically, like if you just think about something for long enough, you just won't be a bigot because yeah. it just makes sense to not be. But her being involved in this cover co-signs her with a little bit more of a, a 
radical idea of how to change things than I would have taken her for. Yes, I totally agree. And it, the other thing that's interesting is just to put this in the context of like the time period, right? At the same time in the early 2000s that she was doing this cover with Steve and Abby Hoffman, uh, she was doing a song with Kid Rock. Um, yep. But this was well before. She was maybe married to him at that time too. Yeah, I think so, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, this was well before Kid Rock had decided that his, you know, new grift was going to be to be like because he wasn't like that before yeah he wasn't like that that's one of those things (laughs) i'm like wasn't like that before and i was a rapper i was like he was a rapper who grew up wealthy in suburban detroit my friends his dad owns multiple car dealerships but there's no grift that certain right-wing folks don't want to you know ignore they just are begging to be grifted by various he just um, wants somebody to tell them what they want to hear yeah, all the way from, yeah, because I think it's funny to say like. And I mean, I'm guilty of the same thing. I want people to tell me what I want to hear, too. Oh, of course. But of... what I want them to tell me that I want to hear, the people who want to take the rights away from other people don't yeah. want to hear that. Well, that's what it comes down to, right? Because so, you talk you know, about whatever. <laughs> right. Like you talk about. I've, I've, you know, there, there's been endless people trying to like summarize Donald Trump or whatever, but like, you know, one of the things that's resonated with me the most is like, he basically tells people that like, you can be as shitty and selfish as you want to. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a good thing. So you can be your worst self. And that's, that's, that's not just okay. That's good. Be your worst fucking self. And that's part of the appeal. But I was just thinking about how funny it is. Like you, like when you were talking about going to the show in Owensboro, earlier right mm-hmm. and you said you know hey it's kind of trump country out there and i knew exactly what you meant everybody listening did but to like zoom back a little bit and put that in context you mean donald trump the real estate millionaire yeah. from new york city who uh-huh. like never worked a job in his life and whatever like the working class and farming people of owensboro kentucky that's who they identify with. And I think it's still important that we like zoom out and remember, like it was not always this way. And that means it doesn't always have to be this way. I mean, my, my big thing lately, the thing I've been yelling about at work, whenever we're, we're all having these political discussions at work all the time, uh, amongst the 10 or so people I can have these conversations with is how much I hate the media that they don't introduce these people with a tagline mm. of this now going to donald trump the man who's never worked a real job in his life whose yeah. daddy gave him you know now now i will let you speak after i've introduced you I know. now ron DeSantis, harvard yale graduate right like <laughs> i mean it, it goes back for i love that it'd be like um new hampshire private school oil billionaire george w bush um, yeah. cur- currently cosplaying as a cowboy from Texas, but mm-hmm. he's not, he's from new England. Um, you know, like, like, like g- give us context every yeah. time they speak. Yeah. Like yeah. remind us who they are. Here's a uh, Vivek, uh, Ramaswamy, uh, who wants to raise the voting age to 25. Now you can now speak whose, whose money comes from a, uh, a medical grifting scheme. Oh uh, yeah, yeah cool. Guy. All right. When yeah. he, when he said that line, 
like comparing Ayanna Presley to a Grand Wizard of the KKK. Holy shit! I, I did like, not hear that. He did. That's crazy. Um, he did, and you know, the one time I think on one of those fucking Sunday morning news shows after it, like the person actually like pressed him on it a little bit mm-hmm. and was like, "Yo, here's what the KKK did." Yeah, and you are saying you disagree with like how Ayanna Presley thinks about race. And so you're, well, it's like, well, the KKK sought to divide us and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, my brother, you deserve to be crucified on a burning cross. If that's what you actually, it's like, oh, you think, you think Ayanna Presley is the same as the fucking KKK? You want a taste of terror, my dude? Um, Yeah. Also, also Mr. Like Hindu American right winger, um, when they do take power, you're going to die. Oh yeah. It's they like will kill you. They're coming. Yeah. I've <laughs> in their in their final solution, you're gone. Bro, yeah. <laughs> you're you're only you're only around right now because you're useful. Yeah. Um, but but that won't always be the case. Yeah. The other thing about him, I was actually I was texting with Aaron from Perfect World about this. Like that dude is younger than me. It's and that just that just makes me beyond how disgusting I think his politics and his whole grift is that just makes me think about like, God, what an epic fucking loser, man. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't care how much money you have Vivek, like that somebody younger than me would be up saying some shit like that. And like doing like a cutesy, like Eminem. And he wasn't saying the shit like 10 years ago. There's footage of him. He he didn't vote. It doesn't matter. He didn't vote in the last three elections. He he said that, you know, I mean, which again, coming people from, don't vote. Right. I was about to say coming from certain <laughs> people, I'd be like, oh, hey, man, I, I I get it. You know, I yeah. get why you made that choice. But for him and I'm like, and yet you want to come up here anyway. And I don't know. I got to check my because they're all fucking shitheads. But he when he made that comment about Ayanna Presley, and I think there's something, too, about it coming from, you know, another person of color, the child of immigrants, like saying, I mean, that it's the about, same reason they like uh, fucking Candace Owens. It's the same reason. They yeah, like- yeah, yeah, yeah like all these people who Nikki like Haley, Dave Rubin. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 They're, they're, they're the people who, who they hate, who will say the same grievances that they believe in their life. Yeah. This is why they pay them. If you got a token example, then you can claim that you're not racist because another, you know, a person who's not white says the same fucked up stuff. It's um, cool. I found a, uh, I found a trans YouTuber the other day. got, uh, um, recommended to me and she's so anti-trans it's crazy <laughs> that's wow. her grift her grift is arguing against her own existence oh it's real gosh. cool there's something for yeah. everybody yeah, it's um yeah i got it's wild how quickly the algorithm will send you on some fucked up stuff like yeah i've been getting recommended a ton of misogynistic I, uh stuff lately and i've just and then i and then i fall down a hole of like trying to find anybody who else is talking about the person yes and i'm like somebody else has to be aware of this like i am enough to enough enough to write an article or like a tweet or something being like anybody else see this shit because it has two hundred thousand views (laughs) did you did you find anything a little bit (laughs) well that's what i I had a friend text me and not send me this beautiful video of like um like a like a russian orthodox monk painting an icon i thought it was cool you know but apparently if you watch shit like that you're gonna get fed fucking like jordan peterson oh cool you know so and i was just like 
this, I don't see the connection here, but apparently, you know, that's, but that's what it preys on. And I've heard a lot of folks who are especially the parents of like young men, you know, like 13 year olds. No, dude, stuff. it's terrifying. And like, and that that's because I never want to be that parent who's like over my fucking kid's shoulder about some shit. But like, when I see that, that like, oh, hey, I like, I like cars. So I'm watching a video about cars and then the algorithm starts showing me some fucking, you know, like anti-woman, like fucked up nonsense. Um, it's Andrew me. Tate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like so many people stumbled onto Andrew Tate because they, because they, he's got Bugattis. Yeah. Cause they were like, <laughs> it was like 10 year olds who were like, that's a cool car. I want to see that car. Yeah. You know, like Mike, I have a two year old. He fucking loves cars. He wants him yeah. to go fast. You can think cars are cool <laughs> and want him to go real fast and also realize that, um, you know, gender is a construct and the patriarchy sucks. Those things don't have to, yeah. <laughs> you know, These conflict are... with each other. But yeah, yeah. Um, fucking YouTube, man. Uh, so, hey, hey, time has come today. This cover rules. The song rules. It is and awesome. It also made me, you know, this is a story for another time. But like go down another Abby Hoffman rabbit hole and again become convinced that like he did not fucking kill himself. The CIA did. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. Um, so. Did you ever watch that uh, Aaron Sorkin Chicago 7 uh, movie? I didn't. Me either because I hate Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good enough reason. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I wish somebody else would make a movie about that. Yeah, man, and, I would and, totally watch and, a movie. And, about and that. certainly follow Abby Hoffman through it to uh, his untimely end. I know, fuck, yeah, because there's just no, there's no way, man. He didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially knowing, I feel like I would make connections later on in life, like knowing about things like the Suicide File. Yeah, and being like, oh yeah, because even even there's so much that they haven't that the FBI, you know, hasn't redacted or released even the stuff that's been made public there's they had fucking 15,000 pages on Abby Hoffman um which just shows you that's, how ob- obsessively they were you know it shows you how much dude. money they have to yeah. spend yeah on that like how many hundreds if not thousands of, of fucking yeah. hours and FBI employees were just like tormenting this dude invading yeah, the his fact privacy, that people can't like, see the economic advantage of preventing radical thought like that from proliferating like the fact that we have no international left the fact that we have no like coalition building whatsoever on our mm-hmm. side of it was the, the fact that like con- like i saw somebody recently that someone i me and my but me and dave who sings in weapon x we mm-hmm. highly suspect of being an op um like how much Whenever someone comes in starting to divide people on the side of wanting, you know, more rights and freedom and shit for people in general, um, I'm always like, are you getting paid to do this? Dude, 100%. And, <laughs> and that's the thing, too, because and I, I think I will still find myself thinking stuff like I'll convince myself that like, dude, this is just like our little fucking book group in this tiny corner, like mm-hmm. in the country or whatever. Why would we even be on their radar? Why would they give a shit? And then it'll come out years later that it would be like, here was this like environmental yep. activist group that was like 13 people 
Yeah. They Dude, still took it upon the, them to assign a full-time undercover, you know, embedded agent to that. Show, the the right? British God, I, we're going to this. I, I had a feeling the time has come today. Cover would lead us down some fucking rabbit holes. Um, but the the British police, I think the London cops were like fully infiltrated into all the leftist groups in the 70s and 80s to the point of fathering children, fathering children, like having families. That's fucking people. crazy. dude. Yeah. Like when 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 I start getting like really like upset about how I'm going to die probably at work one day in years from now or weeks from now. I, but I will probably die on a day that I have worked my job and in the service of capitalism, I think like, fuck, like it really, like, really, I can't do anything to change my circumstance. And then I think about shit like that and I'm like, yeah, there's never been an opportunity, dude. Like (laughs) we've been fucked from the start. Like always, if they've got both the, uh, 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 you know, sort of a state mechanism to do those things and that many people who are willing participants mm-hmm. you know what i mean uh because like that's the other thing too man the 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 actual cops and agents that are doing this infiltration and dirty work it ain't like they're getting paid bajillions of dollars, no they believe you know what i mean they're true believers right yeah um but yeah, so that was what would blow my mind because I'd be like, surely they have bigger fish to fry than this. And then I'd be like, no, nope. here's this here's this group of like eight hippies in rural Oregon. Yeah. And they were saw fit to fucking infiltrate their group and have like full time ops like involved with them and following them as they talk about like preventing a tree from being cut down. You know what I mean? So slippery slope, man. Fuck, man. Um, Domino theory and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fucking cool they're gonna find us too man we have 168 subscribers um how many of those are ops dude think i don't want to think about that there's no way there's no way anybody knows what we're doing yet i'm sure somebody except for 100 except for a bunch of steve Earl fans hell yeah dude they're the only ones who we appreciate i just think all the time about don't tell the cops my favorite (laughs) fucking i mean we've got it's just such a awesome mix of people that have taken to this podcast and i mean we've said it before but the fact that any of y'all give a shit is just fucking puts us over the moon because we would be doing this anyway yeah even if nobody gave a shit but the fact that there is a group of people that really like it but i think some of my favorite interact i mean obviously i love all the punk and hardcore kids that are into what we're doing right but some of my favorite interactions have been with like just regular working folks who are like, dude, I love Steve and I fucking found this. And every once in a while, when we have one of these conversations, I'm like, oh, are we going to lose anybody? <laughs> are we going to lose somebody? Because <laughs> they're like, I just wanted to talk about this record, man. And then I'm like, your wife might be an op. They're watching, you know, like. <laughs> cool. So, um, yep. Oh, anyway, man. man, Abby Hoffman rules. Hey, and speaking, let's let's continue talking about. The carceral state. Right, the carceral state. I was about to say radical politics, but I'm like things that I don't think are radical, but clearly are perceived as radical, yep. like being against the state having the right to kill people. Um, Ellis Unit Weird. One, yeah, man. Ellis Unit One. Uh, the solo version that appeared on Dead Man Walking soundtrack was Tim Robbins' favorite. I preferred this one featuring the Fairfield Four, who we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, it was Tim's movie dedicated to the memory of James Hill, and uh, yeah. 
We got Steve on guitars, harmonium, and vocal in the Fairfield Four and background vocals. That's it. That's it, man. It's powerful. It's um, a good song. We've talked one? about. Yeah, this is my favorite. Knew one. it. Um, it's the best song on the record. It. Yeah. And so you say that even though it's not your favorite song. On the yeah, record. the time is coming today is going to be my favorite because that's my shit. That's your shit. But, but I can recognize you know, one's this the best is song. the best song on the record. Yeah, and I just get. This is one of those songs too that, man, I just keep getting stuff out of it. Yeah, this is everything we talk about in this podcast. Right. No matter how many hundreds of times or just things like the, like, fuck man, like the, how good is Steve though, to be able to like also write, he writes from the perspective of the condemned person. He writes from the perspective of the fucking guard and Mm -hmm the the torment and ptsd that this person feels you know who's like probably just needed a goddamn job and now he finds says themselves it. yeah <laughs> right um even jesus couldn't save me though i know he did his best but he don't live on ls unit one um yeah i mean we talked about this when we uh <clears throat> when we uh did the to helen back episode yep and he plays this song but we talked about um the uh fuck what's the song on nebraska um oh howie patrolman uh, yeah yeah we talked about that song right. and how similar of a sentiment this song is to that where it, yeah you talk about these people who needed work and the this was the job that was there yeah and uh i think it's very like i, I wrote pretty crazy he wrote such a rich song on this topic like it is crazy yeah <laughs> it really is and it made me too appreciate I haven't seen dead man walking in a long time. Um, and I never read uh, sister Helen Prejean's book that I know it's based on, but I have a deep appreciation too, for like the story that she told. And then that obviously, you know, Tim Robbins made into the movie. It would have been, there are countless stories of completely innocent people, right. That they could have written about to highlight how, you know, immoral and fucked up, capital punishment is but i think it's also important to look at people who like committed some fucking heinous shit and who like need to be removed so that they cannot harm anybody again but that like i still like you and i've talked about this before if a family member of one of the victims wanted to take justice into their own hands and and do something about it i'd have no problem with it yeah but i do not think the state under any circumstances should have the right to to take this person's life you know um dude that reminded me i i I woke up the other morning and i fell into a hole of watching a bunch of um move or a bunch of youtube videos about christopher nolan's the dark knight Mm. and one of the one of the videos i watched talked about the um it was it was it was basically a the joker was right video Mm -hmm. but like that was like the bring you in part of it. But then the deeper point that he made was like when the Joker says like, you know, society is broken and these people like will eat each other and all this stuff. And then Batman has like the complete wrong takeaway from the boat situation where the boats don't blow each other up. Yeah. When the boats don't blow each other up, 
Batman's like, the city just showed you. And it's like, no, you wouldn't see what was going on in the boat. One boat voted to kill the other boat. <laughs> <laughs> just when put in a single person's hands to push the button, they said, no, I was fully okay with the state killing this this other boat, but I'm not okay with doing it myself. Yep. And the other yep. boat was so couldn't make up their mind that right. one big strong person took charge and made a decision for everyone. That's right. Yeah. Gotham didn't do anything. Gotham didn't do anything, dude. Well, and it's such, that's so fascinating. People were just cowards. Well, and I think too about like the, I thought I got into it with some of the, you know, wonderful people. Like I play like, you know, rec league softball with like, you remember the fucking like Will Smith slapping Chris Rock thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, you know, the, the hubbub over that. And I just remember being like, there is so much institutionalized state violence going on around us at all times that none of us bats an eye at. Yep. But one person slaps another person and all of a sudden everybody's like up in arms about it. Yeah. Like whether or not you thought that was like the right Justified thing to do or, or whatever, anything, yeah. like that's, but like stop clutching your fucking pearls. Yeah. When I live on, you know, when I've seen cops indiscriminately pepper spray and beat people like out in front of my building and it's happening all the time at a, you know, a friend slapping another friend and, you know, they made up, you know, right afterwards. Right. Yeah. Like it's just kind of, <clears throat> that is, that is to me always the epitome of the failures of like liberalism, right. Mm -hmm. Is like this, it's a superficial commitment to nonviolence in that like, Ooh, I don't want to see somebody hit somebody else, but I'm happy to let, the force I'm happy if play. that happens. Yeah, I'm happy if <clears throat> that happens and I don't have to watch. Yeah, the state can do all the violence they need to do to keep my life rolling the way that it is and I'm comfortable. Yeah. But as, as long as I don't have to see it, it's fine. Yeah, just so long as the trash gets picked up and right. I don't have to I don't have to step over somebody when I'm leaving my house. Like yep. just so long as all that stuff happens, I don't care what happens when I'm asleep. Yeah. So that's cool. what that example makes me think about. about it's the fucking boats, cool. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, dude, the, the, this else Unit 1, man, it touches on everything in such a thoughtful way. Um, I wrote Song is No Fun, but so good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, so many of Steve's best songs are no fun at all. <laughs> but then there are so many that are a whole lot of fun, right? Yeah. Like That's part of his brilliance. I, I can't believe the next song that comes after this, man. Like you can't, you don't like it? It sucks so bad. Dude, I, I like it. Dude, I hate this song. I like I think it. It's the corniest shit I've ever heard. Creepy Jackalope Eye. I like it. I, it. I actually kind of started listening to Super Suckers because of this. I like a lot of Super Suckers stuff. This is not a song I like at all. Really? I like yeah. I like the original. I think it's cool that this one's like a whole minute longer than the original because the original's played like a punk song. Yeah. Um, I like it. I think it's awesome. Um I I will say this though. Um did you listen to the Super Suckers EP at all? I did. This is the best song on it. Which uh that's really saying something, man. That Rolling Stones cover sucks. It does, man. <laughs> it's a it's a swing and a miss, man. Like I And I the 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 version of uh of uh fuck, what's the Angels the Devil? Yeah. It's not good. No, not good. Not good. Not good. Um, I, dude, I can't I can't get away from shit. Sorry to like change the subject again. I like I downloaded the Citizen app mm -hmm. 
because one day, a few weeks ago, there was a shooting on my block. We heard the shots, <clears throat> cop cars came, ambulances came. Even after things had calmed down, nobody would tell us what actually fucking happened, you know, and then there was no reporting on it, right? I mean, that's mm -hmm. most acts of violence, <laughs> you know, unless like something yep. major happened, like there's no reporting on it, right? Mm -hmm. So I downloaded that because it's like the only way to get at least somebody who was there, like, hey, yep. made a video, here's what I saw, right? And it's useful for like little shit like that or like just practical stuff like, hey, FDNY has this street blocked off because there's a fucking transformer exploded. So if you're driving, go somewhere else. But then every once in a while, you'll get an alert that it'll be like, somebody shoplifted from the Walgreens at Union Hi. Square. And I'm like, yeah, that's a, I didn't need to know that. And I also- I love that we're all surveilling each other. I know, right? That's like, cool. So then I'm kind of like, I should delete this shit because I hate it. But then I'm also like, yeah, if I'm walking my kid home from school, it'd be nice to know if there's somebody fucking shooting a gun around here so I can mm -hmm. go the other way. Thankfully, not a problem we've had very often, but who fucking knows, right? Um, God, dude, that that just made me think of another thing when uh, I was the I was talking telling you about the the virtual reality school or whatever. Yeah. One of the things uh, they they said in support of this is, well, the virtual reality school, there's you won't have to worry about shootings. Just just <laughs> just your dad. <laughs> I love that. It's like, well, clearly we are unwilling and unable to do anything to fix the guns. about this. Yeah. So, uh, oh, my God. What a fucking <laughs> dystopian neat. nightmare, man. It's very cool. <laughs> And I'm sure they made that with like a straight face. They were like, hey, no yeah. more school shootings. And I'd love it. no more school, no more no school more shootings. shootings. That's the <laughs> easy way to do it, right? It's the the meme where the dude's running <laughs> to his temple. It reminded me of like, you know, early, early in the COVID pandemic when Trump was like, Well, we wouldn't have as many cases if we just stopped testing so much. Yep. That's very cool. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, dude, just don't let anybody take a test. Then you know nobody has COVID. It's that mm -hmm. easy. Fuck, man. Yeah, they really, they good. really thought they made a good point, and I'm sure there were more than a few people that were like, "Oh yeah, that's a good selling point." Um, so yeah, I don't like the Super Soccer song, but I'm glad you do. You know who I do like, man. I like Little Feet. Dude, my dad loves Little Feet. I've never really listened, but I've always seen the CD of the little tomato girl sitting in the yeah. fucking uh, hammock or whatever. Um, I'm gonna start digging. It's good shit. The 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 big the hit was probably Dixie Chicken, mm -hmm. um, which you got it like, downloaded. I just haven't listened to it. Yeah, yet. that's the one that like I remember not knowing who Little Feet was um, hearing that song and be like, oh, I've definitely heard this on the radio at some point. Right. But it's just, man, it's uh, I think this is a really well done cover. Again, I think this covers better. I can. OG. Yeah, I could totally I see that. I wrote the choruses on the OG are cool. But the verses on the Steve version have so much more energy. Yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah, um, it's just a good song in general. So yeah, Little Feet is a band that reminds you always hear me talk about this. They remind me of like what a band like the Grateful Dead could have been if they would like yeah. write write songs mm -hmm. instead of just like, oh, that was a Jamming. really cool part. And now I'm just noodling for 20 minutes, mm -hmm. you know? Um, because Little Feet is the very, you know, roots rock kind of. It's funny too because it's very similar, uh, like art styles too. 
Yeah. Like, I feel like they had a similar visual vibe too, which yeah. is like, that's like the good thing about Grateful Dead was the visuals. Yeah. Like, yeah, or, mean, at least, or at least the ones that weren't good, like drenched in tie-dye. Yeah. Good <laughs> and heavily misleading. Yes. I mean, uh, dude, mm-hmm. I still cannot. I this sc- is what the Grateful Dead says. <laughs> so they're called the Grateful Dead and they have this sick skull. This can't be right. This cannot be what this is. Holy shit. I thought this was going to be the sickest metal band. I was so disappointed. Um, yep. But uh, yeah, man. Oh, shit. Song, I didn't, uh, oh yeah. What what does Steve say about this? Oh, for uh, so for um, oh, damn. I didn't realize this. Uh, Creepy Jackalope or ugh, Creepy Jackalope. Um, he wrote My Brothers, period. Recorded in Seattle the day Bill Monroe died. No shit. So that's crazy. And then for uh, Willen, it said recorded with the Bluegrass Dukes on the Transcendental Sessions. I love to sing with Tim and Daryl. So, yep, that's probably why this song sounds so good, too. Is nice. Who, OK, those, so I didn't. The, it's a, who, the people who replaced the Del McCurry band. Yeah, it's from those sessions. I love so that. They, they've been jamming together for a while. So it's. I think that's why this song has like a live feel, too. It's cool. Yep. Yep. Very good. cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, then there's another instrumental. Um, what I wrote about Sarah's Angel here is this makes me want to buy a mandolin. And that's something I've literally been saying for the last 20 years, but I've never done. Well, so I, I don't know what's going to be the thing that actually, because you can get actually you, pushes you over. Yeah, they're, you can get one for cheaper than I thought. Um, and so like nothing stopping me from buying a cheap one and just fucking around with it, just like Steve did, to, mm-hmm. which is how we learn how to play. But for some reason, I've never done it. And how he immediately wrote Copperhead Road on it. I know, because I'm sure. Really even knowing how to play it, which is so insane. The next Copperhead Road is just sitting in my fingers. And all I need to do is, you know, spend 80 bucks on a cheap mandolin to get it. But I won't do it. You're so, not you know. that much older than Steve was when he wrote Copperhead Road either, which is crazy. I think I'm a lot older than Steve was when he wrote Copperhead Road. Less than like 10 years. Okay. Wait, he was 30 Steve? he was 34 35 whenever guitar town came out i think yeah i always forget that man. he got such a late start it's crazy yeah it's not too late for you to do it's not too late crazy Shut uh, up. for sarah's angel he uh says same day same band uh this title comes from uh this hopelessly ugly little wooden angel that sarah adopted and now greets me from above the back door <laughs> every time i come home um and for that i wrote what i said earlier still stands this is awesome and i need no more than this 100 percent, very cool cool interlude but i don't mm-hmm. need any more of it yeah um so the next song is my uncle which is a cover by the flying burrito brothers and i've got to say this is a band that i ignored for a long time because they have a stupid name but then it's once good. i once i started listening to them i really it's like good. it yeah <laughs> it's very good yeah, um, this is yeah, a fucking I, Graham Parsons. Yeah, yeah, I got into or I I heard was exposed to them because of uh, my buddy Paul who exposed me to Steve Earle, mm-hmm. um, putting them on the country playlist that we would listen to in the gym. So, um, yeah, I, I I wrote this cover rocks. The live recording really works, uh, and I wrote country music was so cool when it was subversive and not patriotic propaganda. Fuck right. nine eleven. Fucking 9-11, man. Speaking Dude. of, it's 9-12 right now. <laughs> I know. God damn. It, it, yeah, I didn't... Yesterday, man, brought up so much. It, different shit every year. Yeah. I always I find myself always listening to War All the Time by Thursday. Um, 
which, you know, came out, I think in 2003, but to me is just such a perfect goddamn summary of like, even for those of us who, you know, did not directly know anybody that like died that day or weren't um, in the military or anything like that, just the way that like it has shaped every moment of everything yep. that's happened. And I did get to have a credit to my boss who, you know, I was, we don't always get along the most, but like we, we had a cool conversation yesterday. I just, sometimes I'll throw some shit out there just to see if she'll like bite, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I was like, I just hate that the narrative has become, cause we're about the same age. And I was like, I hate that the narrative has become that like, Oh, after nine 11 was a time of fucking national unity. And I was like, uh, yeah. Tell that to my wife's family who were getting their fucking windows busted. Cause they were yep. Brown. Um, tell that to me who had like, you know, some, random dude at a gas station threatened to kick my ass because I had like an anti-war sticker on my truck in 2003, you know, like shit like that. It was like national unity, my ass, like the Dixie chicks career was ruined. Um, the largest protests know. in recorded history were about us not going to war. Yeah. I'm, I'm just <laughs> like, but, but they have successfully the same, frankly, the same motherfuckers that, cheerleaded this war and never paid you know uh, a, an ounce of accountability mm-hmm. for it for all the damage it did to countless lives all over the globe um it's like three ab- million i think three yeah. million iraqis died yeah. i think yeah yeah that's cool are able to um and once again a country that even if you you know we're all about that vengeance um didn't have anything to do with the twin towers falling you know that it's that funny point... it's funny that 9-11 turns into immediately you think about the war in iraq because right. it was able to be right we're and able you... to be pushed into that so easily and yeah right and that's they just they did it right in front of our fucking faces and anybody who had the courage to be like y'all um i don't think war is the answer anyway but even if we were you know these aren't the motherfuckers that did this um was met with oh you side with the terrorists um you know like there was mm-hmm. there's literally one active member of congress that was against that shit and that's bernie sanders so um um what's her face from california is the only uh oh the only house person who voted yeah. against it Blanking on her name right now. She was up for she was uh, Barbara Lee. Barbara Lee, yeah. Barbara, Barbara Lee. Lee was she was people were pushing for her to replace Pelosi if she were to step down. Yeah. But Pelosi was doing everything she fucking could to make sure yeah. it was uh fucking Adam Schiff or whatever. Yeah. That guy. Just yeah, just another spineless mm-hmm. lib instead of somebody that actually has a backbone. Yeah. yeah. So Bernie in the Senate and Barbara Lee in the House. That's it. Yep. Um anyway. All that said, she got crucified for it too. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, Flying Burrito Brothers rule. And this is a dance, like a real ass anti-war song. Fuck yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's like, I-, I like too that it just, it deals with the fucking human element of it too. It's just, man, like I get my ass to the next border then because I'm not yep. doing this shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that rules. Um, he, uh, he writes about it. The Bluegrass Dukes again, this time in Fargo. I consider this song to be very in capital letters patriotic <laughs> fuck yeah and i'm glad you mentioned that because i actually wrote tyler do you know where this was recorded because this is a live version 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the different from every other, I believe every other song on this sidetracks record is a I think studio so. recording and this is live. So that was in Fargo. Dude, this really works live. It's fucking cool. It's great. It's, it's badass. Fantastic. Yeah. Recorded at the Fargo theater. Very um, cool. It's a highlight yeah. for me. And we are on the last song. My back pages. By, um, by a, a singer named Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan. Based on based on Dylan's version rather than the birds, which to my ear are two completely different songs. This mm-hmm. was originally a duet by Joan Osborne and Jackson Brown that we produced for a film. We recorded oh. the track in Nashville and then sent it to L.A. and then on to Barcelona so that Joan and Jackson could add their vocals. I always liked my scratch vocal for some reason, even though it was a little out of my range. It makes it sound urgent, like my head may explode at any second. I totally agree. You know, because he's he's stretching himself. Um, this made me realize. I'll say I I like this cover, um, but a connection to something else we've talked about on this podcast. I went down a little bit of a hole after listening to this cover of my back pages and realized my favorite version is the one from the 30th anniversary show at Madison Square Garden. Oh, it's good, dude. With, I mean, With everybody. Everybody, you know, fucking yeah. Tom Petty's Tom Petty. there. Yep. Like, everybody. Chris Christopherson. Chris, it's fucking yeah. awesome. Neil Young. All, Neil Young. It's All-star fucking, awesome, fucking cast. Yeah. It's so it's good. Badass. You know, and it's the show where, you know, a bunch of shithead boomers in the mm-hmm. crowd, who I'm sure thought of themselves as hippies, booed mm-hmm. Sinead O'Connor, but... That I think is my absolute favorite version of this song. Um, was that that all star lineup at the we gotta do a special on that fucking show at yeah. some point. It's dude, like it's um, yeah, I agree. I, I will say though, dude, um I'm spoiled by the birds version. I fucking mm. hate this cover. Mm. I don't like the Dylan version either. I don't like it played like this. Um, this record but, could have ended on the Burrito Brothers for all I care. I agree. I think it could have been it would have been a and a strong ending, I think it would have been a fun and cool for them mm-hmm. to end with the, not just it being such a cool anti-war Burrito Brothers cover, but a live mm-hmm. track being the yep. last one. Um, and I just think yeah. the chorus of this song sounds better sped up. Mm, I can I see that. I don't think it sounds good slowed down like this. I don't like the Dylan version. There's yeah. there's several Bob Dylan songs that like I think other people perfected. Yeah. Or you'll hear a lot of times or a, a different time Dylan did it. And it's different. Better. I was about to say he doesn't do it live the yeah. same way. He speeds mm-hmm. it up when he plays it live um, yeah. and doesn't do like the recorded version. So it's even, you know, he's probably come around to realizing it sounds better this other way. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it, I, this I is, appreciate this is cool, though. I mean, everybody yeah. who likes Steve Earl should listen to this record because, yeah, it's it's a cool thing. Time well spent. And I think one of the things is hitting me more than a lot of the other records, you know, obviously the like cohesive studio albums, but even some of the different stuff we've listened to is this record for me has some high highs and low lows. Oh yeah. Um, it, it doesn't, none of it particularly, very little of it feels like down the middle for me. You know, you heard in the way it's we extremes. talked about it, there's extremes. Yeah. There's some songs that I'm like, this is fucking brilliant. And then there are yeah. others where I'm like, Ooh, this is bad. Well, um, and, and even where, even where, when, if I say something's fine, I mean, it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> like I deal yeah. in like love and hate. So like, if I think something's just fine, that's almost worse. 
<laughs> than hating it because that means yeah. it didn't even it didn't even like invoke like a strong feeling from me of negativity you know i appreciate that yeah. user hey hot or cold man i don't want lukewarm you know mm-hmm. fuck yeah um well man this was a fun record to talk about and i think uh before we kind of jump back in with studio albums we have another treat uh that Mm -hmm. we'll give you for the next episode uh should we do a little preview or should we just say hey listen in a couple of weeks and you'll hear it i we should preview because the only place you can listen to this thing is on youtube Mm -hmm. so if somebody were planning on listening to the record before they listen to us talk about it they should no, they can't just switch over to streaming service and That's check true. it out before. Um, the Bluebird Cafe show with uh Steve and Guy Clark and Towns Van Zant is what we're gonna do next. And it's hell yeah. I've listened to it once and it's it was worth an hour. It's fun. Yeah, I'm I'm it excited. An hour. I'm excited to dig in more. And yeah, if you if you just search YouTube, it's like Bluebird Cafe. Steve Earl, it'll it'll be the first thing that pops up. Um or the CD is very cheap on Discogs. I I come yeah. to find I think I might buy it for my dad. Yeah, if you want the physical <laughs> copy, grab one. Um very cool, man. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Tyler, always a pleasure. Fuck yeah, man. Fuck yeah. And everybody out there, thank you again for listening. Take care of one another. And uh, you know, I was trying to think of some like brilliant way to uh you know, close, but Hey, listen to time has come today. Listen to time has come today. (laughs) Do no harm, but take no shit. All right. Love y'all. Peace. I like that. Do no harm, but take no shit.